Job, Job chapter number 25. I think I called another gear there, didn't I, with a microphone? Job 25. I want to try uh, to cover a lot of ground tonight, if we can. I said when we started the book of Job that I wanted to, in places, um, overview and and uh, try to cover a good bit of ground. I really didn't do that until we came to the second round of speeches by Job's friends. We started doing a bit of that. And so uh, tonight I want to cover uh, really a good bit of ground. This is Bildad's last speech. We looked last week at Eliphaz, his last speech and Job's response. And then uh, tonight, uh, Bildad, his final speech and Job's response Zophar will not speak a third time. And, of course, we mentioned that when we overviewed the book of Job a long time back. But in Job 25, uh, we'll read it here in just a little bit. Let me just remind you, if I may, a couple of things about Bildad, the Shuhite, Job's friend. Again, he makes three speeches in the book of Job. The first is in chapter 8. The second in chapter 18. The third one here in chapter number 25 he always speaks second. You remember Eliphaz goes first, Bildad second, and then Zophar speaks third. They're always in that sequence. Bildad, we've traced his thoughts in the other two speeches of his being a traditionalist. He's a bit short. He's cruel with Job, um, as the other two friends seem to be as well. Let me just hit the high spots of his other two speeches, if I may. The first speech, now you'll remember some of this, I'll guarantee you. He said to Job, in essence, in Job chapter number 8, first of all, he said, Job, you need to learn to be quiet. You remember? Then secondly, he said, Job, you need to learn a little bit about theology. And then he said, Job, uh, if you'll seek God, God will make it all right. It'll all be all right. Now, he didn't have the right to say that. And then he said, Job, they said. You remember we spent some time on that. They said. And then Job, look around yet nature. Doth not nature itself teach you some things? And then, of course, lastly, Bildad gave a statement of his belief as far as suffering is concerned. That was his first speech in Job 8. His second speech was found in Job 18, and that chapter divides easily into two. He said in the first portion, he said, Job, you are reactionary. Every time we say something, you have a knee-jerk reaction. That's why we can't get through to you. You've got a wall up. You are reactionary. And so, Job, that's why we can't reason with you. That's in chapter 18. Also in chapter 18, the second and largest part of that chapter, he said, Job, you spoke about death. Let me talk to you about death. And he said four four primary things about death. He said death is like a light put out. It is like a trapped animal. It is like a criminal being pursued, death on our trail. And then he said, death, Job, is like a tree uprooted. And so here in chapter number 25 of Job, again, it's Bildad's final speech to Job. It's the shortest chapter in the book of Job. It's the shortest speech given to Job. And yet it is followed by the longest uh, rebuttal. Um, Job's answering Back to him, we'll cover several chapters, and we're going to look at some of those here tonight. As a matter of fact, it covers chapter 26 through chapter number 31. We're going to let the Word do the speaking for us tonight and see how much of this we can get covered. 
Here in chapter number 25, there are two large divisions this chapter, only six verses. Verses 1 to 3, and then verses 4, 5, and 6. But I'm going to give it three divisions because I want to make another emphasis here with verse number 4 alone. Very hurriedly. Verses 1, 2, and 3, here's what you'll find. He's going to say, Bildad is going to speak to Job about the power of God. And of course, the implication is, Job, you're weak. You're very weak and you're powerless. He has sat and listened to Job respond all these times. He says, Job, you're not near as strong as you think you are. You're weak. and God is powerful. Look, if you will, chapter 25, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? Now, the power, the dominion, the fear that comes along with his dominion, the number of his armies all suggest something of the greatness and the power of God. Look, if you will, in verse number 4, when he speaks to Job in verses 1, 2, and 3 about the power of God, the greatness of God, in verse number 4, Bildad speaks to Job about the holiness of God. And what he's going to say, in essence, is, Job, how in the world do you think you can stand uncondemned before God, that's the implication of it all. The implication is, of course, Job, you are unholy. Verse number four, how then can man be justified with God? Now, mind you, in context, he's arguing back now, pushing back against Job. He's like a, an attorney cross-examining Job. Job just finished two chapters, and what all he had to say, he's, he's, he said much. So in verse number four, how then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? I imagine in the heart of Job, Job would be like you would be and like I would be. A sinner? Yes, I am. Unholy? Sure. Defiled? Sure, I am. As a matter of fact, we have nothing good to stand in in and of ourselves. The only good part about us is the part God has saved, right? Don't you just imagine in Job's heart, he's settled about the matter. Do you remember what he said in chapter 19, verse number 25? I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And uh, so he says, Job, you're unholy. What does an unholy person, what does a sinner have? The only hope we have is to cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. And aren't you glad he received us when we did that? In verses 5 and 6, Bildad speaks to the wholeness of God. Verses 5 and 6, God is complete in himself. Even if the moon and the stars, if they fell in their light. Job, you're so much less than the moon and the stars. You are but a worm. If you look that word up, it carries with it the idea of maggot. He said, Job, he said, you have no hope. You have no hope, Job. You've been talking to us about God now, I want you to know he's whole in himself. You're not. Job, you have no case to present. You have no hope. That's what he's saying in verses 5 and 6. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. That's, uh, that's something, isn't it? Now, I told you back in chapter 12 and in chapter 16, I'm going to state it again. I love the way Job pushes back. I love his sarcasm. 
As a matter of fact, he's going to start out chapter number 26. He'll start out the chapter by saying, Bill, Dad, you're such a blessing. Isn't that something? I mean, they have so spoken down to him. And uh, uh, in, in all of his suffering, they have so mocked him and belittled him. Uh, you'll remember, I said chapter 12 and 16. Look back at chapter number 12. You remember what he said to them in chapter number 12? They've gone at him. Zophar just finished with him. He was the most harsh of the three. And then chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, I don't know what we're going to do if you fellas leave the earth. You're so wise. Uh, he pushed back at them. And then in chapter number 16, he said, Then Job answered and said, I have heard many I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Now, the Bible calls them his friends. He says you're miserable comforters. Watch chapter number 26 of Job. But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? He's, uh, that's very sarcastic. If you'll just absorb that, it's very sarcastic. Now, in chapters 26 through 31, I have some preacher friends who quite regularly, they'll take a midweek service or a Sunday night service, and what they do is they read Scripture in the service. I've never done just that. I've been in some unusual stirrings. Where I'd ask if anyone had a verse of Scripture or passage of Scripture on their heart, people would stand. But I do want to cover as many of these chapters as we can. And I'll be mindful of the time and let you out of here by 930, if that's okay, if you'll say amen. What we're going to do is, again, we'll let, the, let these verses speak for themselves. I'll give you a heading and give you a division for each chapter. And just make brief statements along the way. But these are final arguments of Job. As a matter of fact, when you get to chapter 31, he's going to begin his speech here in chapter 26. When you get to the end of chapter 31, you'll see here in verse number 40 where the Bible says, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley. And then the Bible says the words of Job are ended. He's going to start, stop arguing with these three at that point. And those three will have nothing else to say to it. Now, I've given you, uh, we'll give you, uh, just uh, a layman's uh, overview and, and heading for each chapter. In chapter number 26, Job says to Bildad and to his friends, let's talk about God. You want to talk to me about God, Bildad? Let's talk about God. In chapter number 27, he's going to say, in essence, I've served God as I have contended all along. I've served God, and it is my intention to serve until my dying day. In chapter number 28, he says, wisdom, that's my subject. I want to talk to you about wisdom. In chapter number 29, Job's longing for the good old days. If we aren't careful, we'll, we all do that, don't we? Yesterday's the best days. In chapter number 30, he's lamenting over his calamity, or calamities, plural. In Job 31, Job's willing for his life to be examined put me under solemn and a sobering review. And he'll list several sins. His friends have implied there must be gross sin in your life, Job. And he lists a bunch of them. 
And he says, uh, in essence, God knows and I know. And you're willing, uh, I'm willing to let you examine my life in all those areas. Let's get at it. Chapter number 26. He says, uh, he says, Bildad, now in chapter 25, Bildad's response was brief. But what he has to say is about God with the implication of, of uh, Job's weaknesses. And Job's going to say in chapter number 26, um, Bildad, you want to talk to me about God? Let's do just that. Verses 1 to 4. And we just read the verses, so I won't go back for time's sake and read them again. But what Job does when he responds in a sarcastic manner is he, he's saying to Bildad, and the other two are sitting there as well, I don't appreciate your unhealthy, and a lot of times your unsound advice to me. You've assumed things about me that are not so. You've not given me a fair hearing, and I don't appreciate it. That's in verses 1 to 4. In verses 5 to 13, Job acknowledges the common comprehension of God's creation. You'll hear it and let the verses speak for themselves. Verses 5 to 13, dead things are formed from under the waters, and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. You see this common comprehension he's talking about, about God's creation and his creative acts. Everybody is aware of these things, Job is saying. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. And the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. He's saying here the common comprehension of God's creation. You've talked to me about this, but this is common knowledge that you've talked to me about. Even the stranger knows about the creative acts of God. In verse number 14, Job in essence, as we read this verse, think about this. He is going to say in essence what we know about creation, what we do know about creation is but a whisper. And the thunderous volumes of God's infinite knowledge. And there are men that have dedicated themselves, such as Dr. Henry Morris and Ken Ham and some of those men have dedicated themselves to creation research. But according to this verse that we're about to read, what they did know, whatever it was that Dr. Morris took to the grave with him, and he took a vast knowledge with him to the grave. He left a lot of it in print. But it was but a whisper to God's thunderous volume of what he knows. Listen to what he says. Lo, lo, these are parts of his ways. He said what little we know is little. It's just parts of his ways. But how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Look at chapter number 27. He said in chapter number 26, let's talk about God. Bill, Dad, you want to... Put a sermon on me and back me in a corner. Let's talk about him. You want to talk about him? Let's do that. In chapter number 27, he says, in essence, I've served God. I've told you, fellas, I've served God, and I'm committed yet to serving God. In this chapter, Job 
Uh, as Job continues, number one, in verses 1 to 10, he's going to insist on his integrity. And he commits to following through with this life until the end. 1 through 10 of chapter 27. Moreover, Job continued this parable and said, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment? And the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. Uh, my righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained when God hath taken away his soul, will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? Verses 11 and 12 Job's going to speak to his friends about their nonsense. They've wasted a lot of time. There's a saying I hear somebody, uh, some people say every now and then, they'll say something like this, you just wasted 10 minutes of my life. Here Job is suffering and they've wasted time. They've spoken nonsense about nothing because it doesn't apply to him. And in verses 11 and 12, they have falsely accused him over And again, he has no hidden sin in his life. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 27. I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the Almighty will I not conceal. He says, behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? It's nonsense, he's saying. Verses 13 to 23 of chapter 27. Job knows that sinners do suffer. You know, they've accused him of being such. They do suffer. Ultimately, they do suffer. All of us will suffer and pass off the scene of life, 13 to 23. Verse number 13 of chapter 27 and following. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors which they shall receive of the Almighty. If his children be multiplied, multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver. He buildeth his house as a moth and as a booth that the keeper maketh. The rich man shall lie down, but he shall not be gathered. He openeth his eyes, and he is not. Terrors take hold on him as waters. A tempest stilleth him away in the night. The east wind carrieth him away, and he departeth. And as a storm hurleth him out of his place, for God shall cast upon him and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hand. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. In chapter number 26, he said, let's talk about God. Chapter number 27 He says, fellas, I've served God all my days. Best I know how I've served him. I'm committed to serving him until I die. Chapter number 28, he says, wisdom. That's my subject, wisdom. That's where we're lacking today, right? Wisdom is the right use of knowledge and information and all the data, being able to put it together and put it into practice for uh, best decisions and, and what have you. You don't buy it. You don't buy wisdom. 
uh, you don't bump into it. You don't happen stance into it. Wisdom comes across time. Wisdom is built. Uh, you're not going to get it overnight. Uh, we all lack in some area of wisdom. Uh, we're told in the New Testament that, that we can have wisdom for the asking. James 1, 5. We're told in James 3, verses 13 and 18, the differences between a wisdom that is from above and a worldly wisdom, which I've always contended is mere cleverness. Wisdom. Look, if you will, I'll show you here in chapter number 28. Look, if you will, verse number 12 and verse number 28. Here's, here's what the whole chapter seems to, the hub of the chapter, these two verses. The depth saith, it is not in me, in the sea, saith, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 12. I was in verse 14. Verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Then verse 28, and unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Look at verses 1 to 10. Job will speak of man mining the earth and tunneling the mountains, looking for valuable metals and minerals and gems and the such like. Verses 1 to 10 of chapter number uh, 28. Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness, and searcheth out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up, they are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up as it were fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires, and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vultures eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock. He overturneth the mountains by the roots. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks, and his eye seeth every precious thing. Man will go to great lengths to mine out um, all the valuable ore of the earth and minerals and Metals and precious jewels, stones. And we ought to be the same way in pursuit of wisdom. In chapter number 28, verses 1 to 10, Job speaks of the finding of valuable things of the earth. In verses 11 to 22, wisdom is not something that is bought or discovered, not found, as we mentioned earlier, by happenstance. Verses 11 to 21, he bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it is not in me, and the sea saith, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir and the precious ox or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding, seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air? Destruction and death say we have Heard the fame thereof with our ears. We've heard of wisdom. 
where can it be found? 23 to 28, you'll look with me. True wisdom is anchored in God. True wisdom is anchored in God, in his word, in seeking God, in the ways of God. 23 to 28 say, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds. He, and he weigheth the waters by measure when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning and the thund- of the thunder. Then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. There's a wisdom, there's an understanding found among those who repent, put their faith in the Lord, turn to the Lord, learn of the Lord, learn of his word. There's wisdom found there, thereof. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about a verse. I had a conversation with an old preacher years ago. I'll never forget the, I'll never forget the conversation. You're familiar with the verse of Scripture, Hebrews 4 and verse number 12, uh, where the Bible says, For the word of God is quick, that is, it's alive and powerful, and it is, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen to this. Piercing even to, to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. The soul where your, where your thought processes are and the spirit dividing that separating that and addressing that and the joints and marin is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever sat with somebody that knows the word and you think they have been going to the mailbox before you get there every day and they have a bit of something they can offer you? God gave to them a discernment and that comes with the word of God. There's where wisdom lies. We're to learn of him and follow him and with that as we study the word, There's a discernment that comes with that. In chapter number 26, he said, let's talk about God. In chapter number 27, I've served God. I'm committing yet. I'm committed yet to serving God. Chapter number 28, wisdom is my subject. Chapter number 29, Job's longing for the good old days. The good old days. Sometimes when days are uh, difficult or days are different, um, Days are long and strained. We look back and we long for the good old days. And so it is with Job in this chapter. He looked back to his life prior to what's recorded in chapters 1 and 2 of Job before the trials ever, ever came. Letting go of the past is something that's extremely difficult sometimes. Maybe it's past sin. Um, maybe it's past trials. Maybe it's past victories. Letting go of the past often is difficult to do. Getting over our yesterdays. And we thank God for good memories. Those good memories should never anchor us uh, to the point that we can't move beyond them. We're still living today. Still work to be done. So Job remembers his past blessings. He remembers that everything was good at one time in his life. Look at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 29. And by the way, it, it, you, you might be surprised if you'll go through the 29th chapter and underline the personal pronouns of Job. A lot of times we think about the good old days. We're thinking about how it affected us. And it was good for us. 
And so as we go through this chapter, I'll emphasize when we come to a personal pronoun of Job, I'll lay emphasis to that. You'll look with me at verses 1 through 6. He says in verses 1 through 6, I, I remember when everything was good. Watch this, Job 29. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. He remembers his past blessings. Someone has said this, and I, I, I want to state it two or three times, and I want to challenge it very briefly. We're moving right on. Someone has said the good old days are often a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. You ever hear somebody talk about the good old days, and you think, now, nah, it ain't that way. You ever hear, some, I mean, the good old days, son, when everybody did everything right. That ain't so. Now, that ain't so. Every generation has had sin to struggle with. Every generation. And the temptation may have been different. And I'll deal with temptation this coming Sunday, the Lord willing. Temptation is personality specific. Some things it might be a temptation to you might not be a temptation to me. And some things it might be a temptation to me might not be a temptation to you. But temptation is there. And every generation has had to deal with sin. The church has had to deal with particular sins that were very pronounced in every generation. Now listen to the quote again. The good old days were often a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. I would say sometimes that is so and sometimes that is not so. There are some things back there. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Solomon told his son, don't forsake your father's friends. It's a reason why they were his friends. What's been established? What can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? There are some good things back there. Secondly, in verses 7 to 17 in Job chapter number 29, Job remembers his position he held, uh, he held in, in his life. Watch this, 7 to 17. I'm still going to emphasize these personal pronouns. He says, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves in the age to rose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. When the eyes saw me, when they saw me coming, in other words, it gave witness to me. Verse 12, because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I 
was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. He remembers his position. The position he held um, there where he lived was a respected position. Um, it was a very respected position. He had a place of influence. He helped others. And the thing about it is now he can do nothing. He's helpless and he can do nothing. Verses 18 to 20 Job reflects on a peace he once enjoyed in his life, 18 to 20. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. It was a time when he was strong and healthy. Peace, peacefulness abounded in his life. That's changed now for Job. 21 to 25. Who'd ever thought we'd get through this much um, Bible in one night? 21 to 25. Job once possessed influence and power with men. Comes up again, 21 to 25. He says, unto me men gave ear and waited, kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. He said, I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. Job's longing for the good old days in his life. Who knows? We may get to a place, God may let us live long enough that we do the same. We really don't know, do we? We do know when we come to that place, we keep our eyes upon the Lord. I think about Miss Angie. I think about Miss Clara that uh, day I was called up to go see her. She knew she was going home soon. She wanted me to preach her funeral. Knew she was going home soon. Wasn't a bit disturbed about that. But sometimes when life is taken and someone is lying flat on their back, um, it would seem that those situations get the better of them. No longer are their children nearby. No longer is the situation peaceful. Let's get Job 30, Job chapter number 30. Now, in Job chapter number 29, he goes from, from remembering, from reminiscing about the good old days to lamenting his calamities. As a matter of fact, he's, he's talking about all these things I have enjoyed and I was a part of chapter number 29 over and again. Look, if you will, chapter 30, verse 1, he says, but now. Look at chapter 30, verse 16. He starts that one with, and now. Things are different now. Things are different. And things do change, dear heart. Things have changed. Whether you believe it or not, you're changing. And life about you is changing. You can deny that all you want to if you decide to. But we're all changing. It's later than it's ever been. Things are different than they once were. And things will continue to change in this walk of life. Things, when you come to chapter number 30, things have changed now for Job in his life. Look at verses 1 to 8. Job now, he says, but now, verse number 1, verse number 16, and now, Job finds now, instead of being respected, he's ridiculed. Verses 1 to 8. As you read over these verses, 
you'll find that the ones that are ridiculing him are young men who are sons of men who once upon a time Job did not trust. They were slothful men. They were wasteful men. They were untrustful men. And Job's done his best to put one foot, his best foot forward um, to the glory of God. And now Job is weak and sickly and looks like he's headed to the cemetery. And now these men that he could not trust, their sons have risen up and they mock him. Look if you will. Uh, Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 30. But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to sit with the dogs of my flock. Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished. For want and famine they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time, desolate and waste, who cut up malas by the bushes and juniper trees for their meat. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys, in caves of the earth and in the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed. Under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. And he said, and they mock me now. He said, they make fun of me. Done nothing but live for God. Can you imagine? In verses 9 to 15, Job now, remember, but now and now. Job now in verses 9 to 15, he finds himself rejected in life. He's like a bow without a string. He has no function. He cannot function. He has no purpose anymore for life. Verses 9 to 15. And now am I their song, yea, I am their byword. They abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet and they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. Uh, They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters in the desolation. They rolled themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind, and my welfare passeth away as a cloud. 16 to 23, he says, Now I'm in constant pain and misery in my life, physical pain, mental anguish. He can do nothing about it. God doesn't seem to answer one of his prayers. 16 to 23, And now my soul is poured out. Upon me the days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease is my garment changed. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me. Um, with thy strong hand thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it and dissolvest my substance. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Then 24 to 31, Job now finds himself restless in it all. The Bible says, Howbeit he will not stretch out his hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. 
Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and I cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. My heart also is turned to mourning and my organ into the voice of them that weep. Um, No rest for the weary. He's in constant misery. Lastly, I told Amanda today whenever I was trying to uh, trying to go over these chapters and just put some brief titles and divisions to the chapters. I, I told her, I said, I'll never get these chapters read in the service tonight. But we've got this far, so let's get chapter 31, and we're finished. Then we're going to pick up with a lie here. That's where I wanted to get to. Pick up with him on next Wednesday evening. We'll slow things down again in the book of Job for a bit. Job 31, Job's willing for his life to be examined. Here's what you're going to find in Job chapter number 31. Nearly all of the chapter, Job is going to list one sin after another sin. He's not contending for sinless perfection on his behalf. That's not what he's contending for. But he is underlining and maintaining his integrity. He's saying, I've done right. The things that you would assume that I'm guilty of, I'm not guilty of. He maintains his integrity, combs through his life. And he mentions all these things. Let me mention several for you. He'll deal with sexual sin. He'll deal with lying. He'll deal with stealing. He'll deal with gain by dishonest means. He'll deal with unfaithfulness to his wife. He'll deal with being high-handed towards those who have worked under him as servants. He'll deal with an unwillingness to help the poor and those in need. He'll deal with being prideful over his possessions and his position in life. He'll even mention loving his enemies and strangers and giving them place. And Job will say in every bit of this, I've not been guilty of these things. I wonder if they had left this impression upon him that they thought he had to be guilty of some of this. Let's read it. And then in chapter number, uh, verse number 40, you'll find where he'll end his argument. Now, I know these are a number of verses. Let's read them in a hurry. Chapter 31, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high is not destruction to the wicked? And a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? <clears throat> Watch all these suppositions he'll throw out there about himself. These are merely suppositions. The word if is the dominant word of this chapter. He says, if I have walked with vanity, or if my foot uh, hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know mine integrity. And then he says again, if my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes. And if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. If mine heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid weight in my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another, and let others bow down upon her. For this is an heinous crime. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction and would root out all mine increase. If 
I did despise the cause of my manservant or of my maidservant when they contended with me. What then shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visiteth, uh, what shall I answer him? Did not he that uh, made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel myself alone and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof. For from my youth he was brought up with me as with a, as with a father and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. For destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I could not endure. You see the fear of God in his life here, in his testimony? Then he goes on in verse 24, If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great or because mine hand had gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined or the moon walking in brightness and, and my heart hath been secretly enticed or my mouth hath kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge for I should have denied the God that is above. If I rejoice at the destruction of him that aided me. As a matter of fact, that's one way you can tell a lot about your character and mine. It's how we respond when someone that would be our enemy falls. It says a lot about our character, lack of it. He says, if I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me, I lifted up myself when evil found him. Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. If the men of my tabernacle said not, all that we had of his flesh, we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street but I opened my doors to the traveler. If I covered my transgressions as Adam, it's interesting he knew about Adam, isn't it? If I covered my transgressions as Adam by holding my iniquity in my bosom, did I fear great multitude or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not out of the door? Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him. If my land cry against me, or that the furrows likewise thereof complain, if I have eaten the fruits thereof without money, he said, I've not stolen or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life. He says, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley. Then he closes his case. The Bible says the words of Job are ended. It's interesting to me that, um, and I'm not taking a shot at Job here, but honestly, he's satisfied with his life at this point. He's satisfied. In the presence of his friends, they've accused him. He's satisfied with himself. But in a few short chapters, he's going to be in the presence of God. And he will not be satisfied with himself. As a matter of fact, this is really one of the great faults we find with Job. He is like we are. He's a self-preservationist. He stands in his own righteousness a lot of times. He's self-righteous at times. We told you when we started this. 
Job don't get everything right, and his friends don't get everything wrong. He's satisfied. You got that in that chapter, just in the casual reading of it. But now when he stands in the presence of God, he will say this, I abhor myself. He doesn't claim any righteousness at that point. He simply bows before the Lord. When we struggle, whether it be with sin or self-righteousness, if we can get to the presence of God, that'll fix it all. It'll fix it all. We'll be reminded of just how small we are, how much we have failed him, and how great he is. I rejoice in the grace of God tonight. Thank you for being patient and us reading through all of these chapters. I wanted to move past this section and get into this section where we meet the young man, Elihu, the Buzzite. He's going to have some things to say. As a matter of fact, we'll learn in chapter number 32, he's not already spoken up because he's the youngest of these men. And so out of respect, he's going to let the elders speak before he says anything. Used to be a time when that's the way it was, wasn't it? Even when you went to eat, the grown-ups went first. And, isn't that right? Y'all remember? I can remember those days. You said, well, you're just an old man. I, I'm glad I am. I'm glad I've lived to be this old. I can remember my great-grandmama pulling me by the nap of my shirt and saying, whoa, wait a minute now. It's not time for you to go. I'm glad she did me that way. You ought to respect your elders. Elihu has at least done that. He'll have some things to say as well. Let's stand. You've been so patient with me and gracious, and I thank you much.